Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Please open your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 24, and you'll find that on uh, pages 10 and 11 of the paperback Bibles that are underneath the chairs in front of you if you didn't bring a Bible with you. Um, If you're a visitor and don't have a Bible, we welcome you to take that Bible home with you. But we'll be covering Genesis 24. Now you're going to take a look at uh, this and think, wow, that's a long chapter. Yes, it is. It's a very long chapter. It's the longest chapter, actually, in all of Genesis. So uh, I'll explain to you here in a moment how we're going to do this. Uh, But before we get into this, I want to just make some kind of background review comments before we get to this text. Um, One of the things that I hope you you will remember and keep in mind as we continue to go through Genesis is that there is a primary theme to the book of Genesis, a primary theme that kind of rides over everything. And I've said it many times, and um, hopefully if there's anything you take from this whole series that you'll at least remember this, that the primary theme of Genesis is a fulfilling of what God promised <clears throat> all the way back in Genesis 3:15, when God said to the serpent that there was going to be a descendant who was going to come from the woman sometime down the road, and this descendant was going to come, and he was going to do a work that was going to defeat the power of Satan, overcome death, and fix everything that was broken, is broken in the world. It's the first promise of the gospel, Genesis 3.15. The whole Bible is an outflow of that. The whole book of Genesis is an outflow of that. Genesis is about how is it that God is going to fulfill that promise to bring this Messiah, this Savior, this descendant. Now, we know in the New Testament times that that descendant is Jesus Christ. He is the descendant. But the people in Genesis didn't know him by the name of Jesus, but knew a descendant was coming. That's the primary thing. That's what the whole book is about. How is this promise going to be fulfilled? Primary theme. But there's a secondary theme very often in the book of Genesis. There are themes that kind of come under the primary theme. Now the problem a lot of people uh, get into is they look at Genesis and all they consider is the secondary themes. And and they miss the primary theme. They, They miss the fact that it's really about the gospel. And we don't want to do that, but we also don't want to overlook the fact that there are secondary themes that are here for our instruction. And that's what we find here in Genesis 24, a secondary theme that I think will be very helpful for us this morning. The secondary theme here in Genesis 24 is simply this, how do you walk with God in daily life? What does that look like? Do you, do you remember the old Patsy Cline song? This is really old, even before my time, if that can be imagined. Patsy Cline, just a closer walk with thee, grant it, Jesus is my plea. All I want, Jesus, is to walk closely with you. And that should be the heartbeat of every Christian, a closer walk with Christ, a closer walk with God. But what does that look like? I mean, sometimes in churches we throw out this Christian lingo stuff, you know, and sometimes people are like, what does that mean? Walking with Jesus? What does that mean? I don't see Jesus in front of me right now. How do I walk with him? He's in heaven. How do I walk with Jesus? That's what this text is about in Genesis 24. It gives us very practical instruction of how to walk with our Lord. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through 
this chapter um, and see what it teaches us about this topic. And rather than read the whole thing, all 67 verses, and then sit down and go through it, we're just going to take this in four different chunks. And uh, yes, we are going to read all of this, um, but in four sections. And so um, let me pray for the preaching of God's Word now. Lord, we do thank you for your Word. We do believe that all of your Word is inspired and profitable for us, that we might be fully equipped for every good work. That includes Genesis 24. And so, Holy Spirit, come, speak to us and guide us and help us to know how to walk with you as your Word goes forth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, what does it look like to walk with God. <clears throat> First thing I'm going to show you is this. Walking with God is that we live under the authority of God's Word. That's the first thing about walking with God. We live under the authority of God's Word. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 9, Genesis 24, 1 through 9, to support this point. Okay, so Sarah has just died. She's been buried. That was what we considered last time. <clears throat> and now 24, verse 1, now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred, and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land... He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine, only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. So we'll just stop right there. What does it look like to walk with God. It's to live under the authority of God's Word. So we see the primary theme right here at the very beginning of this chapter. Abraham was old. He was well advanced in years. This plan of redemption, this coming descendant was going to go through Abraham, right? That's what we've been considering all this time. Abraham had a wife named Sarah. Sarah was barren. How is she going to give birth? But then finally, chapter 21, the promised child is born. Isaac is born to Abraham and Sarah, and so the promise continues. The descendant is going to come because there continues to be born to God's people these descendants. Well, now Abraham is old, and he has a son named Isaac. Isaac is the promised child, but the question is, how is now Isaac going to have a descendant to keep the promise alive if he doesn't have a wife? And so Abraham says, I've got to send somebody to go find a wife for Isaac. And so that's what this whole chapter is about. Let's get a wife for Isaac. The redemption, redemptive plan can continue as Isaac finds a wife and has children. So Abraham, verse 2, he chooses a servant. Abraham is old. He's probably not old enough or uh, strong enough now to go out and find the 
wife himself, so he finds this servant, the oldest in his household, the guy who's in charge of everything, and he gives him this task, and he says, I want you to go find a wife for Isaac, but I want you to find this wife from my homeland. So remember going all the way back to chapter 12 when God came and called Abraham to leave Ur, Ur and go into the promised land. That's what Abraham's talking about here. I want you to go back to where I'm from. This is in the area of Macedonia. And find a wife there for Isaac. And so that's the task given to this servant. Now, <laughs> there's this really strange kind of oath given. And so what Abraham says is... Uh, in order for me to know that you're going to do this, in order to confirm your willingness to do this, I want you to put your hand under my thigh, it says in verse 2. So this was some kind of a, a, a custom, a very common custom in, in these days. There's some debate about exactly what this means and, and why it was asked for, but it, it would seem to be uh, that the hand was supposed to be put pretty close uh, to Abraham's genitalia, because that was the organ of procreation. The organ of procreation is how the redemptive promise is going to continue as children are born. So there's some significance here in um, the servant placing his hand there as a symbol of what he's about to do, to go find a wife for Isaac so the redemptive plan can continue. Let's just be happy today that we can just shake hands and make agreements rather than putting our hands under one another's thighs. So... Um, <coughs> So that's what was required, and the servant um, hears the task, but the servant has a question in verse 5, and uh, he says, well, what if I go find this woman, and she won't go? She won't come with me, and Abraham answers, and he says, well, if, if that's the case, here's one thing, verse 8, what he says is one thing I don't want you to do is um, take Isaac there. What I want is for you to find a wife and bring that wife here, but don't take Isaac there to my homeland. The reason why he's saying that is because my new home, Isaac is thinking, is here in the promised land. It's not back in, uh, I said Macedonia earlier, I meant Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia, that's where we don't want to go. That was our former home. Our current home is here in uh, the promised land. And so the servant says, uh, you know, what should I do if she doesn't come? Basically, Abraham says, just just, just leave her there, and if she won't come, you're free from this oath. You, you, you don't have to do it. You're done. You know, the agreement is over. And so at the end here in verse 9, the, the servant says, okay. He agrees to do it, verse 9, and uh, he places his hand uh, under the thigh of Abraham, his master. He makes the agreement, and he's ready, ready to go. Now, the, the reason all of this is happening <clears throat> is basically verse 7. And so... Here's what Abraham says. Right after he tells this servant, please don't take my son back to Mesopotamia, um, the Lord, the God of heaven, Abraham says, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring, I will give this land. This is the God who's going to send his angel to guide you. So what Abraham is saying here is the whole reason that I'm doing this is because God has spoken. I have heard the word of God, and the word of God has promised that my offspring are going to be here in this land, and I am a man who lives under the authority of God's word. And so God said it, that's why we've got to do this. I mean, Abraham could have been thinking, look, I've been through a lot, I've had a long life, I'm old, I'm tired, 
I just want to die peacefully. But no, Abraham remembers, God has spoken a word to me, and I am under his authority, and so I am going to do what God has promised to do, and I'm going to find a descendant. I'm going to find a, a, a wife for my son so that the descendants and fulfillment of Genesis 3.15 can continue. Abraham is living. This is how Abraham is walking with the Lord. He's living under the authority of God's word, and that's the same for you and me. This is what it is to live under, uh, this is what it is to walk with God, to always be conscious of the fact that we are under the authority of God's word. Now, you might say, well, that would be great to have God speak to me audibly like he did to Abraham. Uh, That's not what I'm encouraging you to look for, an audible voice from God. Uh, No, I I don't think that that's the way you should live your life, walking with God, waiting to hear some voice from the clouds, because God speaks in a different way in this day and age. And here's what Hebrews 1 says, long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. He did speak audibly long ago, but in these last days, that is last days between Jesus' first and second coming, he's spoken to us by his son. Now he speaks to us through Jesus, Jesus who taught in the Gospels, taught his disciples, taught his apostles, and charged his apostles with remembering what he said and then writing them down on the pages of the New Testament so that now in the Old and New Testaments together we have God's Word. So you have to understand this little difference here. We live under the authority of God's Word, not his audible voice, but as he speaks through the scriptures. So friends, if you want to walk closely with God, you need to consider yourself always under the authority of the Word of God. There are so many authority sources out there, you know? I mean, some people base all their opinions on popular opinion. What most people believe, that's what I'm going to believe. So often people base their opinions on what science says. Whatever science says, that's got to be the truth. Many people base their decisions on their personal feelings. It's whatever makes me happy. That's what I'm going to do. Others are more pragmatic. It's like whatever works. If it works for me, if it makes money, if it gives me success, that's what's true. That's how I make decisions. That's the authority I live under. But friends, the Christian doesn't live under the authority of any of those things. We live under the authority of the Word of God. In every situation that you face, you've got to ask, what does God's Word say? Maybe you're in a broken relationship. There's separation. There's resentment. There's problem. There's distance. What does God's Word say about that? Maybe you've met somebody. You think this person might be a good husband or wife. What does God's Word say about that? You've got decisions to make about how you're going to spend money. What does God's Word say about that? You've got people you've been hanging out with, certain friends of a certain character who do certain things. What does God's Word say about that? You hear things in the culture about um, LGBT issues, for instance. What does God's Word say about that? How are you making decisions about all of these issues? In every single case, you need to ask, what does God's Word say and how do I submit to its authority? That's walking with God. If you're walking through life, making all sorts of decisions without reference to what the Word of God says, you are not walking with God. Here's the way J.C. Ryle said it. 
These are the Christians' marching orders. Prove all by the word of God, measure all by the measure of the Bible, compare all with the standard of the Bible, weigh all in the balance of the Bible, examine all by the light of the Bible, test all in the crucible of the Bible. That's how you walk with God. All right? Second thing, how do you walk with God? We pray to God in all circumstances. Okay, let's pick up where we left off, verses 10 through 21. 10 through 21. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, not Macedonia, uh, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, Lord, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, Please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman, to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels, let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master." Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. We pray to God in all circumstances. So here's where the story picks up. The servant, having received the task from Abraham, he sets out to look for a wife for Isaac. He takes camels and gifts with him. Verse 10, uh, he goes to Mesopotamia. Uh, again, Abraham's home where Ur was located, the place where Abraham originally was called. And when he arrives, he goes down to this um, uh, well of water, and he is there at the time of evening when women go out to draw water. So, obviously, this man is thinking this is going to be a good opportunity to meet some potentially eligible women. But you can imagine that the servant probably doesn't really know what to do. I mean, where do I begin here? I mean, here comes all these women. Uh, who is it who God has for Isaac? I don't know. What do I do? Well, here's what he does he prays. That's his first inclination. Verse 12, he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. I'm standing here at the spring of the water and daughters of men are uh, coming down to draw water. So he, he offers up this prayer. And, and basically what he asks for is, is a sign. He, he says, 
here's what I'm gonna do, God. I'm going to ask a particular woman for water, and if that woman responds, yes, let me give you water, and in addition to that, I'll water your camels too. If the woman says that, then the servant is thinking, praying to God, let her be the one. Let that be a sign that she is the one. And so here's this servant, he's just going through this kind of daily circumstance, and and he prays. And so what we learn here is that prayer can happen in the most ordinary of circumstances. You know, you don't have to be in a church to pray. You don't have to be on your knees in your room to pray. Instead, prayer can happen in ordinary circumstances like this where this servant is simply trying to get his camels watered. It's a very common activity, and in the middle of it, he offers up this prayer. Later in verse 45, he, when he's recounting this, he said, I was speaking in my heart. I was just praying in my heart right there in the moment. And friends, you know, you can do that. That's what it looks like to walk with God. You pray in the most ordinary of circumstances, while you're doing dishes, while you're getting dressed, while you're driving your car. Just keep your eyes open. While you're drifting off to sleep. In any activity whatsoever, you can be praying to God. You don't have to be in church to do that. That's what it is to walk with God. You're talking with Him. On a repeated, ongoing basis, the scriptures are clear. 1 Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, everything, not just in church, all the time. For this is the will of God for you. (laughs) How could it be any more clear? You wonder what God's will is. Here it is for you, as clearly as possible. Pray in all circumstances. A guy named Brother Lawrence says this, there is not in the world a kind of life more sweet and delightful than that of a continual conversation with God. That's what it is to walk with God. You're talking to Him. He's there. He's with you. So, speak to Him. If you just live your life ignoring God as if He doesn't even exist, the only time you think about God is when you come here on Sunday morning. That's not walking with God. Speak to Him. Talk to Him. So here's what happens. The servant not only prays, but notice how he watches for an answer to his prayer. So verse 15, before he's even finished speaking to God in prayer, behold, Rebekah, who was born of Bethuel, son of Milcah, uh, etc., just shows up. And the servant is paying very close attention. It's like she's the first one that shows up, so he, he starts to look at her, and he starts to notice some things about her. Uh, she's very attractive. That's a, that's a good start. Thumbs up. <laughs> no? I don't think Isaac will, will argue about that. And uh, then he goes on, and he asks this, this question, and um, he, he says, um, you know, give, give me a little water to, to drink in verse 17. And what does she say? Drink, my Lord. And then in verse 19, when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels. Oh my goodness, this this is it. Look at this, look what she did. She did just what I prayed about, this servant must have been thinking. But there at uh, verse 21, uh, I think very important, look, look what the guy does. 
he gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. He just sat there in silence, just watching her, observing her, thinking, is she the one? Is this the answer to my prayer? I just asked God to give success to my journey. Maybe she's it. This is what it is also to walk with God. You don't just talk with God. You actually look for how God is answering your prayers. I can't imagine how many prayers have been answered for all of us, and we don't even know it because we weren't watching. We weren't looking to see how he answers. You know, he doesn't always answer how we wish, but he does answer. This servant is gazing intently. He wants to know, is this the woman? And things are stacking up pretty good for him that Rebecca, perhaps, is the answer to his prayer. I just want to share this quick story. I, I know I've shared this with you before. For some of you, you've heard it maybe even more than once, but it just applies so well to this situation. <laughs> uh, a story uh, about Mary and, and me when we were going to seminary, getting ready to go to seminary in St. Louis. We lived in Indianapolis at the time. And um, we had gone to St. Louis. We found a house there that we really liked, and so we, we put a bid on that house. Seminaries in St. Louis, we got to live in St. Louis, we found a house there, we put a bid on it, but we had a house in Indianapolis at the same time, and we hadn't sold that house in Indianapolis yet. And so we were in a potentially sticky situation where we might have two mortgages, so what we really needed is someone to come buy the house in Indianapolis so that we could commit to the house in St. Louis. Well, one day we got a call from the realtor in St. Louis, and she said, there's a bid on your house here in, in, in St. Louis. There's a bid here. You've got to figure out what to do. You've know, you got to decide if you're in or out on this deal. And so for us, it's like, okay, if we commit to that house in St. Louis, we don't know when the house in Indianapolis is going to sell. We could be saddled with two mortgages for a long time, and we could not afford two mortgages. But if we gave up the house in St. Louis, that might ruin our plans to go to seminary. So we were in a tight spot. The realtor's saying, you've got to make a decision. You've got to let us know. Are you going to commit to this house or not? And so we said, okay. Hung up the phone. And then we thought, well, let's, let's pray. Let's go to the Lord and, and ask him. And so she and I just stood there in the room, and we said, Lord, if you want us to go to seminary in St. Louis, we need a buyer for our house, and we need it real quick. <laughs> so, Lord, please send a buyer. In Jesus' name, Amen. I'm telling you, it wasn't five minutes later. We get this call from our realtor in Indianapolis. We have a bid on your house. Thank you, Lord. And so we are able to sell the house in Indianapolis, commit to the house in St. Louis, and we proceeded to seminary. Um, it just seemed very similar to exactly what happened with this servant, you know? He's praying for this woman, and then Rebecca shows up immediately, and it just seems like an immediate answer prayer. Now, friends, this is not the way it always works. <laughs> I, I can't tell you too many stories, honestly, in my life where it's worked that way, but sometimes it does. Sometimes it does work that way. Sometimes it's just obvious. Sometimes just God just says, here's the answer to your prayer. It couldn't be clearer. But on other times, it's going to take maybe a little work and a little patience for you to sit and look and gaze and think, how is God working in my life? That's what it is to walk with God. He's with you. Don't live like an atheist. That's what we mostly do. Walk through life as if God is not active in what we're doing. The person walking with God prays to God in all circumstances. Third thing, we worship God for His sovereignty. We worship God for His sovereignty. Okay, here's the biggest 
chunk of this text. I'm not going to go through all of this, okay, because there's some repeated material here, but let me read it. Starting with verse 22, we're going to go to 52. Okay, when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring, weighing a half shekel, and two bracelets for her arms, weighing ten gold shekels, and said, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. Whom, yeah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring as soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister. Thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man. And behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and the place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels and there was water to wash their wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him then food was set before him to eat but he said i will not eat until i have said what i have to say he said speak on so he said this is the servant speaking i am abraham's servant the lord has greatly blessed my master and he has become great he has given him flocks and herds silver and gold male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, Perhaps perhaps the woman will not follow me. And he said to me, The Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my clan and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink, and who will say to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels. Also, let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, Behold, Rebekah came out with her water on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, Please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? She said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord. And bless the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. 
Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. So how do you walk with God? You worship him. You worship him for his sovereignty. So here's what happened. The servant, <clears throat> seeing Rebekah, he goes out and he approaches her, and uh, he gives her gifts, rings, and, and bracelets. Uh, he, he asks, who are you? And she identifies herself, and uh, he asks this question, can we stay at your place? And she says, yeah, we got plenty of room and straw and fodder for your camels, so uh, sure, you can stay with us. And then you see there in verse 26, in response to this, what, what does this servant do? It says, in verse 26, the man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord. He worshiped. He's, he's recognizing God's sovereignty over all circumstances. He's recognizing here that God is directing all things. In fact, at the end of verse 27, he says, As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. So he, he's, he's thinking God thoughts. He's recognizing that the things happening around him are not random accidents, but they've been directed by a sovereign God, and that moves him to worship. I mean, that's really what worship is. You know what? Worship is a response to greatness, and there's no one greater than the Lord. There's no one more sovereign than the Lord, and he deserves our worship. And this man is noticing that and giving him worship. So the story continues, verse 29, Rebecca's brother shows up. Laban. And Laban comes and he sings, sees that ring and, and bracelet on his sister's arms and he's very excited. Um, we, we learn about Laban a little later that uh, he's a, a greedy man, kind of an opportunist, and so he's very excited about who this guy is who is interested in his sister. And so he comes out and he extends this hospitality. He says, verse 31, come on inside. Yeah, stay with us. Um, We've got room, and he sets down a meal, verse 33, in front of the servant, and so the servant's about to eat, and he says, before I do anything, I've got to tell you what happened. And so, verses 34 to 48, which we're not going to cover, because it's just a repetition of what has happened, it's just him telling the story, but the servant says, here's what happened, you know, here, here's how I got here, here are all the things that have happened in my journey, and then you look to verse 50, <clears throat> And it says that Laban and Bethuel, that's Rebekah's father, Laban and Bethuel, they answer after hearing the story and they say, the thing has come from the Lord. So even they're recognizing God's sovereignty. This is, this is the work of God here. Um, and um, um, even at the end of verse 51, he says, Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. I mean, it's very interesting, because God hasn't said anything audibly in this chapter, but circumstances are playing out in such a perfect way, and as they recognize the sovereignty of God, it's as if God has spoken in revealing his will in this situation. So the servant recognizes the sovereignty of God. Uh, Laban and Bethuel recognize the sovereignty of God. And they say, and this is a very key verse that I just read there, verse 51, take her and go. She's yours. Now we got one more step is being fulfilled. You know, the servant's got to consider all these things. Who is this woman? Rebecca comes out. Maybe it's her. She's beautiful. Okay, that's good. All right, she offered to 
give water to my camels. That's good. She's a, a virgin. That's good. She's going to let us stay at her place. That's good. But, you know, we still have more work to do here. Her family's got to allow her to go. And so he goes to the family, and the family says, take her and go. And, and it's just like the Lord is in charge. The Lord's doing all of this. And so in verse 52, this section ends. Abraham's servant heard their words, and he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. It's an act of worship. So friends, this is what it is to walk with God. Not just praying in all circumstances, but it's having eyes of faith open all the time, looking at all the great things that God is doing in your life, all the ways that he has orchestrated things to provide for you and to be kind for you and to protect you, acknowledging his goodness, his love, his generosity, his faithfulness. And you tell him that and you say, God, you're wonderful, you're good, you're great, you're magnificent, you're holy, you're righteous, you're merciful. You tell him that because he deserves your worship. That's what we were doing last night here, just singing songs of praise to God to worship him. This is what Nancy Lee DeMoss says, worship is expressing wonder, awe, and gratitude for the worthiness, the greatness, and the goodness of our Lord. It is the appropriate response to God's person, his provision, his power, his promises, and his plan. So if you're not taking time to recognize the Lord's work in your life and not being thankful and worshiping Him for it, you're not walking with God. If you want to draw close to the Lord, worship Him for His sovereignty. Last thing. What is it to walk with the Lord? It's to obey Him above all else. So let me finish this chapter, verses 53 to the end. Verses 53 to the end. And the servant brought out jewelry and silver and, uh, silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least ten days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away, that I may go to my master. They said, Let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, oh, Our sister May you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate them. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Lahai Roy and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward the evening, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, <clears throat> there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. What is it to walk with the Lord? It's to obey God above all else. So here's what happens. The servant is at the home of Laban. He's got more gifts that he gives to Rebekah. He, he spends the night 
there and uh, wakes up the next morning, verse 54, and he's ready to go, and he says, okay, let me have Rebecca, off we go, and then Laban says in verse 55, wait a minute, not so fast, uh, how about you hang around a little longer, how about another 10 days? And um, this is actually not an unusual request, considering the circumstances, uh, Rebecca's going to be married. I mean, this is a big time in her life, and so in this culture, there would have been time for a lot of festivities and rituals and celebrations. And so Laban is just saying, you know, look, we don't, you know, we're, we're going to let her go, but let's take some time to celebrate. This is our tradition. This is our custom to have her stay here for 10 days, but the servant, he will not be delayed. Verse 56, don't delay me. I've gotta go. I, I, I gotta go now. Because he is so filled with urgency for obeying what God has commanded him to do through his servant Abraham that, that he just does not wanna delay. It, it, it's almost like, I mean, I appreciate your customs and your traditions, Laban, but there's something more important here, and that is obedience to my God. I gotta go. I mean, Abraham's old, uh, you know, who knows if Abraham's even gonna be alive, and so he gets on his donkeys uh, and leaves. Actually, after they take one more thing, they say, let's bring Rebecca out here, let's see what she says. They bring Rebecca out, will you go? And Rebecca says, yes, yes, I will go. And so they get on their camels and they leave, and we have this kind of benediction in verse 60, just kind of a blessing on Rebecca's fruitfulness. May you become thousands of ten thousands, and, uh, and, and off they go. And so what we're seeing here, again, in this servant is just a commitment, total commitment to obedience. He wants to do, in all circumstances, what God has commanded him to do. And if you want to walk closely with God, that has to be your heart as well. I'm going to obey him in all circumstances. Jesus is very, very clear when he says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We're not saved by obeying the commandments of God. No, no, no. We tell you that over and over and over and over again. But a person who is saved is going to want to obey God if you want to walk with him, if you want him close to you. And that's what this servant does. And so now the, at the very end here, the scene shifts Back to Isaac, starting with verse 62 and through the rest of the chapter, Isaac is out meditating in the field, and uh, <clears throat> he lifts up his eyes, verse 63, and he sees all these camels come. This would be a great movie scene. He looks it up, and here come all these camels, and uh, Rebecca, she lifts up her eyes also, verse 64, and she sees Isaac, and you can almost imagine him, you know, just locking eyes across the field, and their hearts are going pitter-patter. And, you know, the music is, is swelling up. And this is like love at first sight. You know, they're just kind of captivated with each other. And Isaac learns this is the woman that the servant has found for her. And he takes her as his wife. And then here on the very last verse, now we're coming out of the secondary theme, coming up to the primary theme again, okay? Verse 67, Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife. He takes her into the tent of Sarah as a kind of a symbolic act of this. Rebecca is now the new Sarah. Sarah has died. Now we need a new matriarch. We need someone else who is going to continue the redemptive promise and giving birth to descendants that the Messiah might come. And Rebecca's the one. And so she brings, she gets brought into Sarah's tent. That's the story. Ah, that's a lot of verses, isn't it? <clears throat> So let me just sum it all up very quickly. 
<clears throat> four main elements for you to walk with God. Four things. Scripture, prayer, worship, obedience. That's how you walk closely with God. Scripture. Scripture guides and leads all of your decision making in life. Prayer. You're in constant conversation with God in all circumstances. Worship. Your heart is filled with a response of obedience, a response of, uh, of awe for all that God is. And obedience. Your willingness to obey him and whatever he calls you to do. Now, I know this can be intimidating because you're thinking to yourself maybe right now, I don't do those things so well. My heart's not filled with worship. There's a lot of times I don't obey. I'm not really that prayerful. I know. I'm the same way. I'm the same way. The, the hope that we have here, friends, is you've got to go back to the primary theme. Don't stay in the secondary theme. Primary theme is God fulfilled his promises. And he sent a Messiah. He sent a Savior. He sent somebody who was going to do everything that he promised he was going to do. He sent one named Jesus who ordered his entire life under the authority of Scripture. He sent Jesus who was in constant prayer with his Heavenly Father. He sent Jesus who did everything to glorify his Father. And he sent Jesus who was obedient to the Father even to the point of death where he gave up his life to forgive you for all the ways you haven't ordered your life around Scripture and all the ways you haven't been praying to God and all the ways you haven't worshipped Him and all the ways that you haven't obeyed Him. Friends, we're not saving ourselves by doing these things. We have a Savior who has done them on our behalf. But what a privilege it is to serve a God who is so gracious and so kind and so faithful to all of His promises. And you know, one thing I find really amazing about this whole passage is we never learn the servant's name. He doesn't have a name. He's just a regular guy. He's not Abraham and Moses. He's an anonymous guy going about his regular business, walking with the Lord. And the Lord has taken him and used him for mighty purposes. And the same can be true for you. Just a closer walk with thee. Granite Jesus is our plea. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for challenging us. Thank you for encouraging us. Thank you most of all for being so faithful to all of your promises. We thank you that you have sent Jesus for us. He is our only hope. Help us, Lord, to walk closely with you as we reflect on what you have taught us in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.